books with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Good morning, fellas. Hello. So how how goes your sheltering in place? Well, you yeah, know, it's going. It's still here. I'm still, <laughs> now, still watching a lot of stuff on television. We're going to talk about some of it today. It's mm-hmm. still a thing. I haven't really watched much on TV, though, because work I, has been crazy. I'm not, you know, I, I saw a report last night that uh, people are watching somewhere in the order of over eight hours a day of television. No. And I got to tell you that my uh, my television viewing has reduced since uh, since this has started. See, I'm not watching near as much TV. Mine has actually increased, but not to eight hours, like maybe like two. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not sitting in front of the TV when I get when I get off work, but you know, getting off of work is happening later and later these days. Yeah, because yeah, it's not leaving the house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what I have taken to doing though is uh, every day for lunch. You know, I've set up in the basement, so every day for lunch, I leave my laptop. I go upstairs and separate from work, and I'll watch like a half hour of something. And that's how I went through a lot of the Young Justice season was I would watch a half hour over lunch while I ate and use that as my way to force myself to not work. Yeah. I'm uh, doing an audio book at lunch and I'm taking about 15, 20 minutes. I feel like you guys I'm... are doing it wrong. Like lunch is porn. <laughs> it, that's porn time. <laughs> that's Pornhub time. Yeah, but but Paul has uh, has exhausted all of his searches on Pornhub. <laughs> I have. I mean, they need to release some new shit. <laughs> now I just look for old shit that I haven't seen in a while, so it's all new to me. Ooh, uh, Devil and Mrs. Jones three. <laughs> <laughs> but there was some new. Paul's co- right arm is so strong right now. It is. He's got Popeye arm. <laughs> <laughs> um. But in addition to to our our, our, our lunchtime viewing uh, practices, uh, Monday was Star Wars Day. This past Monday, May the fourth, and uh, a bunch of new stuff came out on Disney Plus to celebrate Star Wars Day. Uh, they released the Rise of Skywalker on Disney Plus. Um, so now you have the entire nine Star Wars movies, uh, Skywalker Saga movies, I should say, in 4K available on Disney Plus, which further pisses me off that I paid $250 for a box set about a month ago. Um, oh, you were going to buy that box set anyway. I was, but now I'm, now I'm pissed because uh, it doesn't have any exclusive material. But anyway, really? <laughs> it has really? zero exclusive material. And I thought it wow. did, but I was wow. incorrect. Yeah, that, now I would, that would chafe me a bit. Honestly, it's kind of they kind of cheaped out on it. Like, there's not even like a table of contents of what's on every disc. Oh, I hate that. I hate that when you get a box set and it doesn't do that. Yeah, it just has bonus features on the disc, but you know, it doesn't say what documentaries are on each. Just you just have to pop it in and find out, or go to go to somebody's third party website to yeah. uh, <laughs> figure exactly. out where it is. Yeah. Um, so you know, Rise of Skywalker came out. Um, also, the series finale of Clone Wars, which. I know you guys aren't Clone Wars viewers, but was excellent. Um, I mean, genuinely good. And then they also put out, um, there's a new series from Jon Favreau. And if you've ever seen, you know, Jon Favreau, it, it, it would do one of these series where he basically sits around a table and talks to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're that, fascinating. Yeah, they are. And this one is much the same. He, It's, the, it's a, an eight-part series on kind of the baking of the mandalorian which each episode focusing on a different aspect of it um so two episodes have come out this week one focusing on the directors 
Um, so they have like Taika Waititi, Dave Filoni, and all the other directors um, around a table talking about their experience. And the second episode is about the legacy, like the George Lucas inspiration. And I got to say, um, they are really damn good. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, like a five minute segment at the end of episode two of this documentary series with Dave Filoni where he talks about the prequel trilogy in a way I've never seen anyone talk about the prequel trilogy before that really like was mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way, but the way he explains it, it was always there and I just didn't get it because George Lucas is, was, you know, a, ter- a terrible storyteller, a terrible storyteller. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, I, you know, he, he basically was like, have you ever thought about why the song is called Duel of the Fates? I'm like, yeah, it's like good versus evil. He, but he explains why it's called Duel of the Fates. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Um, well, what was his explanation? So the, 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 and I highly recommend checking out that, 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 if nothing else, that scene. But it is, the entire episode's worth watching. But Duel of the Fates is essentially, the reason it's called that is because they're fighting over the fate of Anakin Skywalker. And when Qui-Gon Jinn is killed, that seals Anakin's fate towards the dark side. Because it's set up throughout the whole film that Qui-Gon is really the only father figure that Anakin would have had in his life to set him on the right path. Whereas Obi-Wan, from the very beginning, refers to Anakin as a useless life form and doesn't want him. And the only reason that he trains him is because he promised Qui-Gon, not because he wanted to. And they eventually become like brothers, but Anakin never has a father figure to set him on the right path, which leads into the whole Darth Vader being a father to Luke and and that aspect of it. And it was just the way he explains it. I'm like, huh, never thought of it that way. Like that, that actually makes a lot more sense. I had never heard of it referred to as the Duel of Fates. Yeah, the 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 fight with um, Darth Maul is is called the Duel of the Fates, and that's the name of the it's, song as well. Correct. Yeah. Um, and it's it's literally over the fate of of Anakin Skywalker, and it just never occurred to me. I always just assumed like, like good versus evil. Okay. Yeah, right. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like the way he explains it, and if anyone would know, it would be that dude. Um, right. Like really kind of validates a lot of pieces that I never put together because, like you said. The, the storytelling was not sold well. The, you know, the, those, those aspects of it weren't really tied together as well as this guy tied them together in five minutes of explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I see that uh, Robert Rodriguez is going to be uh, directing in season two. Yeah, yeah, Robert Rodriguez, Dave Filoni, I think Bryce Dallas Howard. I think Carl Weathers is actually directing an episode as well. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, and it, it's all filmed. Um, you know, I saw an interview with Filoni earlier this week that, you know, they, other than reshoots, it's all filmed and they're just kind of working on post-production now. So it should still be out wow. later this year. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize it was all filmed because, I mean, they, not too long ago was when they made the announcement about Rosario Dawson. Yeah. You know, you, because they keep everything in secret and you watch this show and, you know, you kind of assume like, oh, they went to the desert. Oh, they went here. They went there. This show was filmed all over the world. No, it was pretty much all filmed in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they show like they're like, basically, you, you guys, have, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the show way too much, but the, Lucasfilm or Disney or whatever literally has a holodeck where a lot of this stuff is filmed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they literally have a room where the entire room is video walls right. that they can like show them walking in the desert and the, and it'll like move around them like. 
It's crazy. Uh, it's it's really crazy, and it, it's certainly worth watching. They're only half hour episodes, so if you have watched The Mandalorian, it's must watch. If you haven't watched The Mandalorian, it's going to ruin stuff for you, but it's still <laughs> an interesting watch on like how these directors work, how they think. And John Favreau, I I love watching that guy. So yeah, he, he's he you know he, uh, literally. You can watch John Favreau cook, and it's fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just—he's a really interesting guy, and he's got a really interesting perspective. I love dinners, dinners for five, yeah. back on uh, the Independent Film Channel. Uh, it's a great show. Yeah, I yeah, would well, actually put that out online somewhere. I realized I've been spoiled by the way I've watched TV lately because I looked at that. I saw that one episode was out at the time, and I'm like. I don't want to watch just one episode. <laughs> and so I was waiting for more to drop. Like a monster. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's yeah, so yeah. the series dropping all at once. It's not necessarily like a binge entertainment type of show because each episode is like the first episode is the directors. The second episode is about the legacy of George Lucas. I'm assuming they'll have an entire episode on baby Yoda or an entire episode on the actors or something like that. Um, it's, it's definitely worth watching. Did you see that uh, uh, CBS All Access CBS All Access is going to do a big reboot this summer and uh, include Paramount Network, Showtime? Uh, oh fuck you! Seriously? B- yeah, BET, the whole schmear, all the Viacom properties are, are essentially going to roll into uh, CBS All Access okay. this summer. So I'm of dual minds on this. Uh huh. One, I'm ecstatic that I'll be able to watch Bar Rescue whenever I want. Um, two, god damn it, I just spent $25 on season two of Yellowstone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I was like, because I spent $50 seasons one and two, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course that happened after I did (laughs) But at least I get to watch season three. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, this is, and you know, those who listen to our Star Trek show will know that I've been saying this needed to happen for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to see. Uh, this consolidation because you know right now all CBS All Access is doing for me is get, is paying for my uh, or is providing my Star Trek habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean it's going to make it a, a more valuable uh, piece of media for me. Uh, but you know we're seeing that you know the the NBC Universal is coming out this summer as well, the Peacock, and HBO Max debuts later this month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm getting it. I'm buying my year. Because uh, you can get it for eleven ninety nine a month if you buy your year versus your uh, your fifteen dollars a month. So you know Disney Plus picked a really good time. I know oh. they did because of May May fourth, but to drop this Mandalorian thing because I was sitting there having the uh, the thought of I'm not really watching anything on Disney Plus anymore. I could cancel it until season two comes out of Mandalorian because there's no new content coming out. Yeah, I mean I think they're. Um... To your point about HBO Max, I already pay for HBO through Amazon, so I'll probably just cancel that and get HBO Max instead. My only frustration with it is that it's a separate service, so that means yet another app. Yeah. Well, if you're doing it, are you doing it through Amazon, so it's one of your prime channels? Correct. So, you know, it won't be another app. I think you're going to be able to do the same thing through Prime. You think so? I do. Okay. Well, now, I, launches and now you won't be able to get the. I don't think you'll be able to get that year deal if you do it through Prime. What's the year deal? It's a winds up. It, you pay a one lump sum fee, but it winds up being like twelve dollars a month versus sixteen dollars a month. I'll investigate. 
Because, I mean, yeah. if I'm paying $15 a month anyway, I'll just do it. But my guess is if the chan- if the, the Prime channel already exists, it'll convert over. Yeah, I guess I'll you wait know? and find out. But then, like, to your point, well, it's only 3 bucks a month, but still. Yeah. But the ease of being able to watch it through Prime through an app, other than other than through an additional app, is is worthwhile. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But there's going to be a, a fuck ton of stuff on on HBO Max day one, so yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. Not that I have a whole lot of time to watch TV right now, but uh, I, I'm I'm excited about the additional content. Well, the reason I like it through Prime is that because it combines with you know as a prime channel like it just shows the movies amongst the movies that are available to you correct you know it's not a different app because if it's a different app it's just going to be one of those apps that i never go to Uh uh-huh yeah no absolutely absolutely because i mean i've got the same thing i've got apps that i'm like oh yeah i forgot that i had that Mm -hmm. yeah you know what i'll have to talk about next week that i'm excited about uh, Star Girl's first episode is supposed to be streaming this week, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's right. So we can talk about. I have, it. yeah, I've been really looking forward to that show. All right, well, we, that's something to look forward to next week. Um, you know, hopping back to our Star Wars Day conversation, uh, there was a big surprise, or a surprise, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that, uh, well, actually, it was a pretty pretty big surprise because retailers have been kind of all about Marvel lately because Marvel didn't screw them over by doing digital first product or or putting out limited product or whatever like DC is. But then Marvel put out Star Wars Dr. Aphra as a special Star Wars Day surprise. Um, so the, the new Dr. Aphra series, um, which it's kind of... So previous Star Wars series took place between Star uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. This new line of Star Wars books takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So this moves Dr. Afra post Empire Strikes Back. Um, new creative team uh, on the book, Alyssa Wong, Marika Cresta. And so the, the, the new relaunched Dr. Afra volume, uh, you know, they, they put out the first issue, digital first, on Star Wars Day. Wayne and I read it. And um, Wayne? I, I uh, Oh. Go ahead. No, you go first. I really enjoyed the book. Ha! <laughs> I'm guessing you hated it. God, I hated it. I I hated everything about this book. I I felt it was borderline incomprehensible um, in the storytelling. And, you know, I, I haven't read the book since Kieran Gillen was writing it. Uh, I was know. wondering about that too because I haven't. I never finished the previous series. You know, I started it, absolutely loved it, but I never finished it. And I think I stopped around the same time you did when the writing switched. Yeah, like so. I was thinking, took over, and I just never read it after that. Yeah, I was wondering if that was going to impact either of us on reading this because I had assumed that you kept reading it. No, no, I, 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 I liked how Kieran Gillen wrote the, wrote the character, and I didn't dislike Cy Spurrier because. Admittedly, I never read a single size Spurrier issue of Dr. Aphra. I just kind of trailed off of the series because I trailed off of all those Star Wars books after it became Overkill. Um, yeah. But I really did not care for this issue. I, I really, I didn't like the art. I didn't like the story. Um, I, I just, I wanted, because I love Dr. Aphra as a character. You know, there was there were rumors that she's going to be, um, you know, uh, the star of a, a new live action series. And I'm, I'm excited about that, but I just could not get into this book. Yeah. I loved the art on it. I thought it was a real, you know, I basically just uh, loved everything about the art. The story I thought was good. I didn't have any problem comprehending it. And 
for me, it just didn't feel like great storytelling. I'm like, oh, wait, hold, what's happening here in this panel? Like, how did this happen? What's going on? I don't know. I, I really struggled with this book. So it's interesting that we have such different opinions on it. Um, yeah, I get that on the first few pages. Like, uh, the very beginning, I had a few moments of what's going on with the story. But after that, I had no problem with it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it another <laughs> shot. I'll give it, because I love the character so much, maybe I'll give it another shot. And if I don't like it, I'll just go reread Kieran Gillen's arc on it. Um, because Dr. Aphra is, is, you know, much like Ahsoka Tano, um, one of those newer Star Wars characters that I just really love. And so I'm hopeful that, uh, I was really hopeful on this book, and it, I was just very, very disappointed. Yeah, it's a shame there's no murder droids, but uh, I like the new team that she's put together. You know, it's funny, I looked up the murder droids, because I was like, I wonder what happened to BT and Triple Zero after I stopped reading the book. And at least what I saw, they haven't been in the book since I stopped reading the book. So there's, I'm assuming, you know, that'll be a surprise at some point in uh, this current volume. I, I, I love the murder droids. I do too. And <laughs> yeah. I picked up one of those Kotobuki uh, um, statues of them when I was at Star Wars Celebration a few years and, ago. And, and you picked it up for me as well. That's right, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. BT and Triple Zero. Well, speaking of murder... <laughs> um, <laughs> this week, uh, you know, you may not have new, new print comics this week, um, but you did have a big release from DC in the form of Justice League Dark the Apocalypse War which was an uh, which is I should say an animated movie that uh, much like we suspected does very much conclude the whole new 52 arc of the DC animated universe that started with Justice League War actually it started with Justice League Flashpoint, Flashpoint. yeah um and so this is kind of the the book end of it uh now I would say even though the title is Justice League Dark, it is literally named that just because it, it's an R-rated movie, not because it's necessarily focused on the Justice League Dark, even though they are characters in it. Um, but the regular Justice League is just as featured in it as the the Dark characters. Um, but it embraces that R rating for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I have been... Uh, I think it's been really hit or miss on the quality of these uh, new 52 um, DC animated features. I'd say it's been about 50-50. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you, this thing was fucking awesome. It was. It is probably <laughs> I, uh, the best of all. I, like, Flashpoint was was great, and this was great. And everything well, in between and, was 50-50. <laughs> and even if you take it out of the new 52 uh, segmented films... Mm -hmm. I think it stands up in probably the top five of the DC animated features, you know, altogether. Yeah. Uh, it 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 is up there. What was the 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 Justice League with, that was the alternative universe Gods with Bruce Timmer? Yeah, Gods and Monsters. It's up there with that for me because mm -hmm. it really went outside the box in terms of its storytelling and. Uh, really had a strong artistic eye, much like Red Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 so I was impressed by the quality of the animation, and even more so was impressed by the l quality and level of the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it did not hold back any punches by not, by assigning blame and letting that blame lie with our heroic characters. You know, in fact, you expect to see redemption and salvation 
through Superman, right? Mm-hmm. And what you find is rede- – spoilers – you find redemption and salvation through John Constantine. Yeah. That's a pretty dark take. And I, I was like, God damn. And so, you know, I, you know, when you watch these movies and, you know, we, we've all been fans of, of animated uh, films for years and years, you kind of start going, okay, well, here's what they're going to do next. And I was wrong a lot of the time. Yeah. Whereas normally in these things, I, I can, I can tell you the script before I've, before I've even watched the movie. Uh, but the ending, for instance, yeah, you know that because it starts in Flashpoint that obviously the Flash has got to fix things. Mm-hmm. But they don't give you the the warm fuzzy of look, life is better. No, they just they just end it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, wow, that is really pretty bold. I mean, that is a a filmmaker's ending. Mm-hmm. I was I was so pleased with what they did here. Um, I, I mean. And as someone who does not ge- generally enjoy Harley Quinn, I enjoyed Harley Quinn in this. I thought she was used to great effect. Yeah, she was used like she should be used, right? Yeah. Um, in this type of ensemble, and it is genuinely an ensemble. Um, you know, it so is. the the main cast of characters is you have Superman, Damian, Raven, Constantine, um, Etrigan, and Etrigan. Those are pretty much your five core characters throughout mm-hmm. the film. Um, and how, why, I mean, so spoilers and, you know, Wayne said it's okay to spoil it. Um, but I'm going to try not to, we, we basically gave away the ending, but, um, you know, so it starts with the Justice League taking the battle to dark side and they fail miserably. Yeah. They fucked it up pretty hard. Yeah. They (laughs) fail because dark side has figured out a way to fuse parademons and doomsday together. Paradooms. Paradooms. And they, the Justice League, get fucked up. Like, I mean, and they do not hesitate to show body parts being ripped off. You know, people die. Characters yeah. die. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and, are, and are eaten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, some of them are brought back as Darkseid's minions, but only some of them. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and it, it, it jumps forward to, I believe, a year later, maybe. Two um, years. Two years two later. Years. And kind of the world that the characters live in, and a last ditch attempt to, to, to basically, like you said, find a redemption in stopping Darkseid, and uh, they, like nothing's left on the table. Um, in that yeah. they they really pull out all the punches and get desperate, and characters die, and you know it, it is it, it it is very much written like like the end. Uh, yeah, of, it's of an apocalypse. Something. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, you know, I mean, re- watching it. You know how it's going to be undone, right? But because you know it's going to be undone, and because the writers and directors and all that know it's going to be undone, they do not hesitate to just kill everybody. Essentially, yeah, um, yeah it is definitely a balls out, you know, sort of storytelling. And I, I, I truly feel like it's kind of the the type of storytelling that's been missing from many of these DC animated features. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that some of them, the less successfuls, have really boxed themselves into the type of story they're going to tell. And I just really appreciated how all out this was. That you know, to your point, they left nothing in the box. You know, everything came out. They they used all the toys. And you know, the great thing about an animated film is that 
it doesn't hurt you to draw a bunch of different characters. You don't necessarily have to voice them. And so you're seeing, you know, all the, you're like, hey, yeah, there's Batgirl. Oh, sorry, Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's Night- oh, Nightwing. Yeah, Ooh, Nightwing gets it bad. Um, yeah, the Bat family took a took a pretty big hit. Yeah, I mean they're humans, <laughs> but Shazam got it pretty bad too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Shazam. Yeah, it is. It is very violent. Um, there are f bombs in it. It is. I mean, it is an art. It, it it definitely embraces. And I think there's only one f bomb, but it definitely embraces um, the R rating. And Raven says it. Yeah, and Raven <laughs> says it, and it's it's actually really funny. Um, yeah. You know, it's called Apocalypse War, and I kind of expected it to touch more on the Dark Side War stuff um, from the comics, given that it's adapting that New Fifty Two timeline. But it really only the only thing that it takes from the Dark Side War comic is that Batman um, sits on the Mobius chair. You know, takes. Over I, you know, I, I gotta say, I really enjoyed it. I, yeah. you know, and there's a, there's a mystery in it. You know, and. Um, you know, I sat there going, "Well, it's 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 maybe it's this guy, maybe it's that guy." I mean, there was a genuine a bit of mystery, uh, you know, that that uh, took you a little bit to unravel who who uh, who the person was they were looking for. I I I I just can't say enough about this film. I thought it was really good. In fact, it's going to make me go back this weekend and uh, rewatch some of the tentpole films from the series because. It made me think, oh, maybe, maybe I should watch that again. Maybe I'll enjoy it more now. <laughs> it's you know, definitely I did worth really, watching for sure. It's did, great. Yeah, I really enjoyed Flashpoint. I don't recall that I enjoyed Dark Side War, whatever that was called. Yeah, I don't. Re- I don't think we liked War. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll revisit it since it's kind of a I said, at the start. If you haven't watched it, the Suicide Squad movie is uh, pretty much a direct sequel to Flashpoint. To get a better shot, is that on uh, the DC app? It is. That's where I watched it. Okay. Hey, um, real quick before we move off of Apocalypse War, I did want to ask Aaron, did you get a chance to watch the Adam Strange short? No, I did not. Um, I's sorry. No, no, there, there, there are some uh, bonus features on it, including a documentary about Darkseid and and Kirby and, and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and there's also uh, a new animated short focused on Adam Strange, which I will say is also very R-rated um, in, in its violence. Um, but really good really good Mm. um kind of honestly i would say not quite what we're getting in the adam strange book from tom Mm -hmm. king but it feels like something that tom king would have put together um it's it's good it's really good i would i would watch it um for sure cool will do so uh you know dc did you know continues their line of their digital first books we didn't talk about them last week because we we ran over talking about some other goodies uh but you know they continue to publish uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Superhero Girls, and um, Swamp Thing. You know, you get a new a new issue every week. Some, it's somewhere between seventeen and twenty something pages for a buck, um, and they continue to publish them. And uh, we continue to read some of them. Um, I, I think after some. three, we, yeah, I think after two or three weeks, we have definitely decided which ones we want to continue with. In my case, I'm reading all of them except for Superhero Girls. I am still picking up all six of them, although I am behind on Swamp Thing, but I am really enjoying all the others. When after the first week, there were a couple I was ready to drop. The second week of them I thought was better. So, So, yeah, I'm I'm still buying six a week because it's six bucks for six books. You know, I, um, I, so the ones I find 
our standouts for me are Superman and Flash. Those for me on the the quality of the storytelling and art is the best of the books. I I'm enjoying the Wonder Woman book, I should say. So those three, Superman, Flash, and Wonder Woman are my favorites. I genuinely have not cared for um, Batman or Aquaman. I think the the Batman book is. I think the problem with the Batman book is that they are written for new readers, and I think really all of these books are. But it's hard for me to get excited about a story I've seen half a dozen other times in the regular Batman series. You know, like they 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 uh, tell a story about uh, an an actor in issue two of the Batman book, and I'm like. Well, this is going to involve Clayface. Of course, it's going to involve Clayface, yeah. and of course, they tell you that on the cover. But even if you hadn't seen the cover, you know the mystery that who's doing this. And you're like, well, of course, it's Clayface. He's an actor. He he's the actor in Batman's uh, uh, Rogues Gallery, and of course, it's the same kind of story you've seen with Clayface for forever. Artwork was beautiful, and if I'd never read a Clayface story before, that would have been great. Yeah, but I this, thought it that, was a very well done Clayface story. Yeah, it was. It was, but it's a Clayface story that that really provided no surprises. That's kind of how and, I felt about this week's issue. This week was a Poison Ivy story, and mm-hmm. it was kind of the same thing of I've read all these Poison Ivy stories. This is just another Poison Ivy story. Right. It wasn't a bad one with it, right? Like they're not. It's just generic. And here's the thing yeah. for for new readers absolutely just fine it, you know it, this if they basically feel like the first time you see the characters in an animated show yeah that, that's how these yeah, i would agree yeah, yeah. batman's and one of the that... books work for me if it wasn't the fact these are 84 cents after discount right i would have dropped it if i were paying you know full price for these but these are cheap so i'm still picking it up because there's not much else new to comp- to compete <laughs> with it the one that surprises me though was uh you guys seem to really like that first issue of Aquaman that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I've liked all the issues since, though. <laughs> we have a very different taste. <laughs> I think that was that was Paul who said that because uh, I've not liked any of the Aquaman books. Yeah, I like the oh, first yeah. issue. I have not liked the the second or third issues. I find they are they are very much like the things that you read in an anthology that aren't great. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're not the headliner stories in an anthology. Whereas I feel like. The Superman and Wonder Woman stories, uh, and The Flash, quite frankly, are the headliner stories in an anthology. I feel like Aquaman is definitely backup material. I uh, With Aquaman, I didn't like the first issue, and this last one I was kind of met on, but I love the second. It really, you know, really caught my attention. The one thing that I have to say about all of them, these all seem to be standalone issues, except for Flash. Flash is telling a story arc, with issue two and three at least. Yeah, and that's what I liked about issue two of Flash. I haven't gotten to issue three yet, but uh, I, I did really enjoy that it was painting a larger picture because mm-hmm. that's also something that I found frustrating about the Batman books. And while Superman is telling one-and-done stories, um, I feel like it's doing a much better job of introducing characters. You know, they've introduced uh, Parasite to the to to the readership. They've introduced uh, Toy Man to the readership. And Paul, I know you're not a Winslow shot fan, but I loved the Toy Man story. No, I, I am a Toy Man fan. I love. Oh, Toy I thought Man. you didn't and like Winslow shot. No, no, I like, I like the animated interpretation, which they took. Right. They they took the comic book version and mixed it with the animated version. So because he's still kind of this grubby dude that you yeah. never see in the animated version. You only ever see him with the mask in the animated version. 
but they have the mask in here too. So it, it kind of combines the two. So um, I love I love the Superman book, and I think they are building on threads by still yeah. but still telling standalone stories. Yeah, there's some continuity with Lois, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're seeing themes like, hey, you know, you, we sure do go through a lot of your you know Clark Kent suits. You know, and uh, <laughs> which, hey, I saved your jacket. Make sure and save your pants. <laughs> well, and one difference between this and the Batman book, well, we've seen a ton of Parasite stories. We've seen a ton of Toy Man stories. And there are some things about these that are similar. These really felt like different takes on the character and the stories than what I've read before. Yeah. I think I'm out on Wonder Woman. Um, I, I, I enjoyed this week's issue of Wonder Woman. Mainly because there were, you know, great big apes in it, mm-hmm. but I didn't love it, and I've really not loved any of the Wonder Woman books, and so I'm three in, and I think I'm out. Um, I think that I'm going to stick with Superman and Flash. I'll continue. My with concern, Woman. my concern about the Wonder Woman book is they won't let it just be Wonder Woman. Uh huh. So far, we're three issues in, and there had to be guest stars in each book. In this case, the guest stars are monkeys, so right. that kind of makes me happy. Oh no, I, the issue. I, the story yeah, I, wasn't as good as I really loved issue one and two. If there hadn't been a great big ape on the cover with Wonder Woman, I would not have bought issue three. Yeah. Um, but even though it, it was a decent story, it wasn't a great story. And uh, you know, I hear what you're saying that, you know, it is 84 cents after your unlimited discount on comiXology. It's just not worth my time. It, yeah. that, that, that's what it comes down to for me is that it's just not worth my time. I'd really rather focus on Superman and the flash. Yeah. I say in my case, I, I loved that first issue with Harley and I really enjoyed the Lois Lane issue for the second issue. This issue wasn't nearly as good for me. And I have that concern of this book has basically been a wonder woman team up book, not her own book. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I like sort of a brave in the bold, you know, uh, Marvel two and one Marvel team up sort of, sort of storytelling. Um, but I would really rather that the stories be more meaningful and that, uh, you know, maybe we get to see some kind of continuing thread like we're seeing in The Flash. And, you know, I think The Flash is great. I think The uh-huh. Flash is genuinely great. Um, the third issue is 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 even better than the second. Um, written by Gail Simone, art by Clayton Henry. Um, I am really, really enjoying The Flash. Yeah, I found in, without doing any spoilers... I really loved the Adam in this book. Yeah. And that's not a version of the Adam that I tend to care for in the comics. Yeah, Ryan Choi. Yeah. yeah. I'm enjoy- I think the Flash is it, it's everything I want from a Flash book um, that I'm not getting in the main Flash title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's fun, but it also has kind of the the standard Flash has, you know, is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and it's got, you know, the time travel. It it's great. I I'm genuinely enjoying it. I hope they can, you know, I'm I'm curious to see where the storyline goes and I will definitely continue with it. Yeah. You can definitely get a real feel of they've tried to blend in the different versions of Flash because you've got basically Iris from the TV show. Yeah. You know, in appearance at least and you've it's early in their relationship. They're not married. They're not you know, they're only just now dating, and she doesn't even know he's Flash yet. Mm. So it's it's like the they've cherry-picked things from Flash throughout the history of Flash, as well as the popularity that came from the TV show to create this version for, the, for new readers. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a very smart idea. Agreed. You know, we talked a lot a, a while back, a while back, 
about ways that you can make comics new reader dc specifically could make comics new reader friendly um but still kind of tied to a continuity uh and kind of the the type of stories we were looking to read in certain titles that weren't so mired in crossovers and stuff and that's what these books feel like um i do wish the quality of the batman book was a little better because that one is the one that I, i i'm most disappointed in because i have the highest expectations of it i guess um, but I, I'm glad we're getting these books. I'm glad DC's doing it, and I will continue to read them. Yeah, this Superman book this week, the conversation, not between Superman and Lex, but Clark and Lex. Mm-hmm. I loved every bit of that, and I think they've really got a handle on these characters. Absolutely. You know, Luther is trying to lash out at Clark and makes a comment about how does it feel to know that your wife's better at your job than you oh. are? And his simple answer is... Uh, you know, if you're ever in love, maybe you'll understand. Yeah. It's well done. It's, it's like, really well done. It, with I, those two phrases, both characters have been defined. Right. Well, and I will say that, you know, this week marks, you know, a great uh, personification of Lois Lane in the Superman book, as well as in the Justice League Dark movie. Yeah. Lois, Lois is really sort of a justice league member mm-hmm. in in that movie uh I, I, she's she is depicted extremely well in both but you know coronavirus has given us the opportunity uh to branch out and look at some other books <laughs> yeah uh, i mean because... for the price of a whole week of dc comics <laughs> you could get the first issue of la muerta <laughs> which was originally funded on Kickstarter, uh, a rather successful Kickstarter campaign. In fact, the entire series of La Muerta books has been funded through Kickstarter uh, under the uh, Coffin Comics banner. Uh, La Muerta is a vengeance comic. Um, uh, long story short, it is a uh, woman returning from her service in Afghanistan to her family in Mexico. Uh, her family in Mexico is gunned down by uh, nefarious drug lords, and you know she adopts a, the the uh, guise of La Muerta to uh, exact her revenge. In fact, when I when, when I read this book, and I'm the guy who who brought this book to the guys, I'm like, hey, let's let's read this for the show. Um, I was fascinated by by the artwork, not just the cover artwork, which is just stunning. Um, but the actual interior artwork is pretty damn good as well. In fact, there there are panels that remind me very much of Stape and Sayed, you know, who used to draw the Witchblade books with Ron Mars, uh, for Ron Mars. Um, so I, the the book very much, to me anyway, had the flavor of The Crow, uh, Death Wish. And, you know, just any number of vengeance movies. And I was, I was cracking up because after I, I, I read La Muerta, uh, number one, Descent, um, I went out and, and started reading about it. And that's where I found that it, it had originally been a Kickstarter book, but also was seeing that it described as Death Wish, The Crow, <laughs> the same things that I was kind of pinning on it. But uh, I, I, have, I have some things to say about the book, but before I, I, I pile in, I'd love to hear what... Uh, what you and Wayne thought. Did Wayne actually read it? No, I didn't pick it up. Oh, okay. That's what Wayne thought of it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I bought the book. You know, with the, I didn't look at the preview art because Wayne, uh, Aaron just said, hey, you want to give it a shot? I'm like, ah, cover looks nice. Let's give it a, like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and, you know, I, I didn't even read the, the, the credits on the, 
on, on the cover, I slipped, I flipped to the first page and it said story by Brian Polito. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> who does lady death right yeah brian polito created lady death and chastity and evil ernie um you know he was one of the founders of chaos comics um and uh so i was like okay now i know what kind of book i'm in for <laughs> um and even though he's not the writer he created the story he created the character the the writing is by mike mclean uh illustrated by joel gomez it's very much a brian polito book um wow. you know you, you've got uh, oh, you know, the, this supernatural element and these sexy women and the ultra violence. Um, it very much reads like an old school chaos comics for better or worse. Uh, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say the I agree. I mean, it is it is certainly of a genre. Um, there is some there are some scenes in the book that. Then I'm like, okay, why did she have to get on the stripper pole to kill this woman? <laughs> you know, why does why does she have to dance on the stripper pole, then kill the woman? It seems like you could have gotten out there on the stage, and then killed her. Oh, I as opposed question, to, uh, I didn't question that piece at all. <laughs> that seemed particularly logical to you. Right? Yes, uh, but there are elements of this book that I think are brilliant. Um, and those elements are largely the art direction, the character design. The char- I mean, you you just cannot fault the design of this character. Um, I think where the book uh, fails is a, a very predictable story that you could have just taken any character and thrown into it, and you would have come out with the same sort of thing, right? I mean, it was just – it was like, yep, she comes home. She's got a great family. Her brother fucks up, gets everybody killed, right? And yep. now she's got to go out and, and, and you know, revenge. Um, it, it's, it's a story that you've seen elsewhere, but I think the, the interesting take on it is the design of La, La Muerta. I mean, I just, I, I, I love the Day of the Dead face painting, I right? Do um, I really do. I really respond to it. And I, you know, that was what made me think of you, Paul, because I mean, I, I know that you're, you're into those, that Day of the Dead mm-hmm. uh, imagery as well. What one of the things I found frustrating about the book is that, you know, it's set in Mexico. Um, We are not I assume as we're reading the story that everything is translated from Spanish. Right. So we're 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 getting to read it in English. Mm -hmm. They're not putting little brackets about it because one would presume that Spanish is the dominant language. But I find it frustrating that if if we're going to do that, if we're going to say, you know, everything is being translated from Spanish, why in the hell are is it peppered with Spanish words? Right. I, I did catch that. I, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, so are we speaking English then? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it, it felt to me very much like gringo guy writing a book about about um uh, Spanish-speaking people who himself does not actually speak Spanish and didn't bother to have somebody do some translation for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that frustrating, and it pulled me out several times. Um, there are things about the book that, I mean, just really screamed the crow at me. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I liked the crow in its day. I don't feel like the crow has aged very well. No. Um, and... Part of what bothers me about the setting, and this is true of a lot of things set in Mexico, particularly involving the crime element in Mexico, is that Mexico doesn't 
every part of Mexico is is not uh, Manhattan in the eighties. <laughs> you know, it's not this dirty city with crime everywhere. Yeah, there are elements of that, just like there are elements of that in America. I it bothers me that we don't see nice parts of Mexico in the book. You know, and I know it's not a travel guide, but it just seems like you know the the Mexico that they're painting is so awful and so hopeless um and so you know driven by by terrible people um i i just i i really wish that uh a better a, a more even-handed sense of what the setting is had been depicted you know it's funny because um i've never been to boston and it, it, and i'm going somewhere with this um yeah. i've never been to boston but it seems like every single movie i've seen about boston shows me nothing other than it it's a it is a crime riddled bank robbing city and i'm right. like but everyone loves boston like why would you go there if everyone just yeah. goes there and commits crime um and i i feel like you're saying much the same thing about mexico in, in at least in this interpretation it doesn't show any of the beauty of the holiday or the city it's exactly it, honestly it's kind of like watching sicario or something like uh-huh. that you only yeah. see that it's like you go to Mexico and you fucking die is basically yeah. what this book that tells is, you. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, it looks like some sort of, you know, horror scenes out of Juarez. Yeah. And I, I, that, that is exactly my point. You go to Mexico, you die. What the fuck were you doing in Mexico? Just like, what the fuck were you doing in Boston? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had it coming. You were asking for it. I, I would have, I, I understand it's a, it's a horror vengeance sort of story. I just wish we had gotten to see some some just some places that hey there's there are some beautiful things here you know the 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 nice family living in this terrible town is not an aberration you know what I'm saying yeah but I it's it's it is a flawed story from beginning to end yeah. but I think there's a lot to like here and again I think most of it is the design of La Muerta. Um, you know, for me, if it was half the price, because I think this first issue was six ninety nine or five ninety nine, five ninety nine. Yeah. If it was half the price, I would actually pick up issue two. Well, I do find the I, I find the numbering convention for for this series of books to be rather confusing, because it's La Muerta number one descent, and then there are several other books, each with a different subtitle, also called number ones. Um, and I gathered that those are all the books, that there's not a whole series of these. So I, I, I find that confusing. I think La Muerta would, you know, because it's so visually stunning, I think it would be a really interesting TV show or movie with a better script. Because um, I, I got to tell you, there was a lot, there's a lot here I liked. And again, most of it was the imagery. I, I really enjoyed how, how it was drawn, really enjoyed the, the design of the character. I just felt like it, she, she earned a better story. And her sombrero is kick-ass. I love her sombrero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a very uneven sort of book. It was $6. It was awfully expensive. I can't recommend it for the price. But if you do get an opportunity to read it at a lower price point, I recommend doing it because I think there's there's a lot visually to enjoy here. No, and you know, before we move on, I do want to say that for it, it is $6. It is also a 50-page book. True. Yeah, um, there's a lot of content. Yes, and it's it's all it's all original content. There's no backup, there's no essay at the end. Um, it, it is 100% comic book. So, you know, it, so it is one issue I had when I looked at it and I didn't pick it up. 
is that there were three issue number ones. Like you read the description and they clearly tell you this is part one, this is part two, this is part three. But all of them are just labeled La Merta number one with no like sub names to them or anything. Well, there is like this one was La Muerta number one descent. The there other is one... inside the book. No, on the, not... cover. on the cover, it says La Muerta number one descent. Oh, because on Comixology, they're just listed as La Muerta number one. Number well, one. I think that the text listing, you're right. But the, the covers themselves are, have different uh, delineations. And that's a style of titling that I've seen, uh, particularly out of comics out of Europe. Yeah. Uh, but I don't understand. I don't understand why, why you make that confusing for the reader. Yeah. Why not make it issue number one, two, right. and three or volume one, volume two and volume three. Cause these are pretty big books. Hey, actually, before we move on to the, to the last thing we want to talk about today, that is one thing I want to talk about, which is, um, this week's new releases. Uh huh. DC messed me up is messing me up with releasing their new books on Tuesday. Uh, like come on like because now with you know for those who read digitally like i gotta look on tuesday for new releases and i gotta look on wednesday for new releases we have to look every day for new releases because of the dc digital first what's your problem fair point fair point yeah Yeah. honestly (laughs) what i've been doing with all of those the i'll go on monday and i'll pre-buy everything and then just download them each day so you know wayne you did not read lomerta but we read some what if comics this week. Yes, I have always been a huge fan of what ifs, and uh, I have multiple volumes of the collected ones. But the books we read are not included in the collections. Yeah, you know, I told you last week when you and I talked about uh, reading the the Conan books, you know, the Conan what if books. Uh, I was like, oh, I've got that in collections. No, no, I don't. I don't have those in digital collections. I had read uh, issue forty three. But I have it in print. That's where I'd read it. So I got to buy all three of these digitally this week. Yeah, I assume it's got to be something license-related. Well, I, the, the collections that uh, I have digitally, which are those, uh, you know, uh, what-if collections, I think it's volumes one through seven, um, That those were released prior to Marvel regaining the rights to Conan. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's why they're not collected. They are collected in the new digital collections, that uh, Marvel has released. Yeah, I have the What If Classic collections. The yeah, new ones right. are omnibuses, and yeah. I'm not rebuying the same books again. Nor am I. So, uh, yeah, it seems like the Conan books, anyway, were the only ones that I was missing. So I bought those in single issues. But we read uh, Conan, uh, What If number 13, What If number 39. And what if number 43, the first of which is what if Conan the Barbarian walked the earth today? And I got to tell you, of these three, this one's my favorite. And I think it's my favorite because uh, John Buscema uh, does the artwork on it. And you know, this is in a period of time where Roy Thomas, the writer, and John Buscema, uh, the artist, were doing the Savage Sword of Conan big magazine so you had the regular, you know, art and writing team doing this book, and you know, John Bushima is really one of those guys who he was kind of made to draw Conan. You know, when you when you look at his Conan, you look at a guy drawing, uh, you know, the character that that he defined. You know, in that in that you know Marvel age of comics, he was the Conan guy, uh, real iconic sort of look. 
And the thing I love about the way he draws this, and you don't see a whole lot of this today in comics, but his backgrounds are so wildly detailed and populated. Uh, I, I just really, I, I, I felt immersed in this world by his uh, pencils. Yeah, it's interesting how he does some of the backgrounds on this, not the, the pencils, but the coloring. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll draw your eye to what you're supposed to focus on. Mm-hmm. Because the coloring of everything else will be greens muted. or yeah. blues or muted. It's yeah. you know very clearly a choice to to point out what you should focus on. Even on scenes where there's a crowd, they'll have anything in front will be fully colored and things in the back will be that muted color. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. One of the things that stood out to me on this story is that this wasn't the typical what if. Right. Typically, when you start a what-if story, you take a scenario, you go wildly to the left, a bunch of characters are killed, and things are irrevocably changed in that world. Mm-hmm. This is a story that basically starts off around the time of one of the Conan stories, and when it wraps up, everything is basically back to status quo. Mm-hmm. This could have been a regular issue of Conan. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know... Uh, this book was written in 1977. Uh, you know, the same time that uh, Rocky had just come out. Uh, obviously, Star Wars was out. Um, one of the things that I find really amusing is one, when he appears in the 20th century and he's walking through Times Square, people in New York City are going, who's that Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guy? You know, who's that Sylvester Stallone looking guy? And of course, this is long before Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast to play Conan in, in the movie. Uh, I, I got a, I got a real kick out of, out of some of that. Yeah, um, I did too. And I loved all of the, where people actually got him confused for the actor. Right. Yeah. Now I thought, I thought this was, this was a, a terrific book. I enjoyed, you know, the, he meets a woman who is, you know, can really take care of herself. She's a cabbie. She wait lists, you know, she, she, uh, she, she's a brawny sort of girl. And they hit it off. I, I like that there's not a whole lot of hand waving about the language. You know, people are like, hey, what's that weird language you're, you're speaking? Yeah, and, you that know, the, was the other really refreshing thing is that they didn't have him just speak English when he got there. Yeah, I uh, I, I really I, I think this is a great story. I think this I don't know about you, Wayne, but I feel like this story rather held up. You know, yeah, here it we really are. did. And I didn't read this one first. This was the last one I read mm-hmm. because I read the uh, the sequel to this one first not knowing that it was a sequel yeah and let's talk about issue 43 before we jump into to the other but you're right issue 43 is a direct sequel to issue 13 um the uh it it it, at the end of issue 13 you know uh conan is standing atop the guggenheim museum and you know the lightning hits him and he is transported back to hyboria in this uh, in this book, that never happened. So it's a what if from a what if. It's what if yeah. <laughs> what if Conan, when he was in the 20th century, didn't return to Hyboria? Uh, so you know it, it, it's pretty darn interesting. And this this is an issue that we get to see Conan acclimate to the 20th century. You know, he's a thief in Hyboria. He becomes a thief in the 20th century. And I, there is this wonderful scene where he returns to Danette, the girl that, you know, he befriended and they wound up having a brief romance in issue 13. 
he appears to her as he believes a successful person would appear in uh, 1977. <laughs> and so he, he appears to her dressed as a pimp and she tells him to get the F out. Right. You know, yep. she s- sets him on his heels and, and that really sets him on a path. Like I really need to be my true self, a true self being a crime Lord. Uh, you know, he builds a gang. I will say that there are some racially uncomfortable scenes in this book, you know, with some stereotyping. Yeah. Uh, I, I so I think issue forty three might be a little problematic for some folks uh, w- when compared to issue thirteen, but I I really found this I found the conflict between Captain America and Conan just captivating. You know that the two of them face off twice in this book, and, and I, I I I find I found that story really well told. Yeah, I com- I agree. I really like their interactions. That they sense something in each other. Uh, that the second time got interrupted, but it wasn't Cap that did it. You know, right. Cap didn't bring the Avengers. The police had just been following them yeah. and show up. Uh, I and, and again, this book ends with maybe there's another there's another chapter coming I, I, there, there never is in this volume of what if but you could say that the current stories of like savage avengers is the follow up to this book because the question comes captain america asks conan to join him in the avengers and conan's like nah but then at the end of the book he's thinking about it and you know now we we see in savage avengers conan fighting alongside avengers so, you know, I, I, I can't help wondering when Jason Aaron picked up the writing chores for Conan, if this somehow didn't influence him. Yeah. Did you read the backup story in this? I did not. I thumbed through it. It's a Doctor Strange what if story. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about it? It was weird. I mean, it was a, it's Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, and uh, Phoenix. And in that world... Kovacs ended up destroying the universe mm-hmm. and decided that all of these powerful beings in the universe, all of these, you know, cosmic powers, those were okay for him to take on. But these three, he needed to get them out of the universe to not deal with them because they were too much trouble. Mm. So, like, art wise, there's a lot of just blank panels because there's no universe. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. I didn't read it, you know, largely because I just ran out of time. Uh, but I do, I still have it on my iPad so that I can uh, read it later on. I enjoyed some of the conversation, but it, you have this really good issue before it, and then it's followed up by a really lackluster, you know, follow up. Uh, I will say, art wise, this uh, the Conan part was not nearly as good as the last issue. That we just read. Yeah, completely agreed. It's the difference between John Bushima uh, drawing Conan versus some other guy. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it, it agreed. I, I think the strength of issue 43 is in the, the narrative storytelling, not necessarily the visual storytelling. Well, we also picked up one more what if with Conan. And I think we should let Paul start with this one now. Uh, what if Thor versus Conan? You know... So I know you guys read three issues of What If, and I had intended on reading the three, <laughs> but I had just forgotten that books from, you know, 1983 were so hefty, much less so wordy. Uh-huh. Um, so What If Thor Battled Conan uh, is, is, is What If issue 39 
Um, and what's interesting about it, it is very specifically referencing a, a, a tale, a comic tale that I don't really remember, um, where, where Thor follows Loki into a cavern and... You know, in in that moment, he he goes down one tunnel and he's got, you know, he's led to ancient Troy during the Trojan War, a, a time travel story. But in this what if he goes down a different tunnel in the same, you know, cave and finds himself in ancient Hyboria and basically comes across Conan immediately. And, they, you know, they do they have battle at first, as as one can be expected. Um, and Thor gains Conan's um like respect and then they they team up for because thor in 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 his time travel has forgotten his, his amnesia and so they team up to, to for thor to find out who he is and thor confronts krom himself to find out who he is and then it turns into this you know battle to find his hammer um and you know it, it's it's a pretty it, it, honestly nowadays this is a uh this is a mini series. Uh, this would have been yeah. a six story, a six issue arc, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And they also uh, one thing you didn't mention, Paul, is Thor is weakened severely. Oh yeah, fair he, point. He's not just he doesn't just amnesia. Because my initial thought when I was reading saw the cover of this is how does this battle happen? Well, just like you know. Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like Conan just he could not stand up to a full god powered Thor. You know, the power levels are just too much. So Thor is weakened and amnesiac. Yeah. What I find interesting is that literally everyone can hold the hammer. <laughs> you know, after the the number of years we've had of, you know, you can't hold the hammer unless you're worthy, what? blah, blah, blah. And that Thor doesn't turn into Donald Blake because these are ba- this is back in the Donald Blake days, right? Fair. You know, so I mean, I kept expecting when's he going to turn into Don Blake? But I guess the 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 underlying uh, logic is that the Odin magic is so far removed from this age that it's less potent. Yeah. So there's not enough of that there to you know flip the switch uh, to make him Don Blake. But I thought that would have been great during the fight with Conan that all of a sudden you know uh, lame Donald Blake yeah. <laughs> appears mid fight. You know, and is immediately struck down by Conan the Cimmerian. <laughs> um, I enjoyed this book. I thought, you know, I thought it was a good story. I, I thought it was, you know, when when Thor dies at the end, uh, spoilers, but it's not a real story anyway. Um, yeah. You know, I was like, oh, huh, okay, well, yeah, it's a what if book. I, I mean, I guess they really can kill anybody. I, I don't really got, get how he died, other than I guess he because he was depowered, the the lightning power killed him. Right. Um, he couldn't handle he couldn't handle the lightning, man. But I do really like the ending with uh-huh. Conan scaling the mountain um, to to confront Krom. Um, I actually thought that was a surprisingly ambiguous ending for 1983. Well, yeah, it would have been nice to have seen what happened. I wanted the sequel to this book. I mean, you know, here we've read three Conan what ifs this week. And you're the only three that were out there. Uh, but, you know, uh, issue 43 is a sequel to issue 13. I would have liked to have seen another chapter in this where, uh, you know, it's post-confrontation with Krom. Yeah. And, you know, you've got Conan the Thunder God. Yeah. You know, what what, if, what Conan, if Conan had become Thor? Yeah. 
Wouldn't that be fucking awesome? And you've got, you know, Conan, you know, spending half the book rampaging across Hyboria and then Conan returning to Asgard and Odin having to deal with that. I think that would have been a great story. Yeah, I think this one didn't quite hold up as well as the other two that we read. Definitely not as as well as that first one. I really enjoyed their interactions. I love the story. I didn't care for the story aspect of he's too far in the past, so he doesn't have all of his powers. It just doesn't seem like that's how Thor works based <laughs> on anything I've read since then. Well, you know, and, you know, Krom explains it as this is my time, not Odin's time. So my, my, my magic is prevalent and yours isn't, um, you know, it seems to me, I, I, I accepted it because clearly they wanted Krom and Thor on the same level, but, I really wanted to see Thor be able to be Thor. It felt like Thor wasn't Thor in this yeah. book. So it's it's not that Conan ever really got to face Thor. Yeah, right? I, I, I love their interactions. He was Thor in personality, but not in power or character. And that was the part that, you know, I didn't care for storytelling-wise. I really enjoyed the book. It just, it felt like it wasn't, Thor wasn't really there. I really enjoy, I think all three of these issues demonstrate the strength of the what if concept because you can create a story there and then it just spins off, you know, and you, you've got so much more story and they could have told even more Conan story here. Uh, and you know, I, I'm I, here, here we are decades removed from their original publication. I'm like, God, I'd, I'd still like that other story. I'd like to see the 1970s era Conan, fighting with the Avengers, you know, being an Avenger at that time with th- that roster of Avengers. I want to see the, you know, Conan from uh, the Thor book, uh, you know, carrying the hammer and, you know, getting to see how that rolls out. I mean, I think, I think there's, it leaves you wanting more, which is really what these sort of stories should do. They should get, you know, I enjoyed what I had. I want more of that. Uh, and I think that would have been a lot of fun. But, you know, issue 43 was right towards the end of the, of the What If Classic series. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, there's there, there wasn't much What If after that in this volume of What Ifs. I loved it. And, you know, I, you know I, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to go back and revisit these stories. Yeah, and they're cheap on uh, Comixology. If you read your comics digitally, like two bucks. Um, but, again, you know, nice, hefty books. Um, you know, and speaking of wanting more... After watching Justice League Dark Apocalypse War this week, um, I thought about revisiting the Dark Side War comics from J- uh, Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok, but I read an article about Apocalypse War that referred to it as the modern day superpowers, like the, the old school superpowers cartoon and, and series that featured the heroes facing off against Dark Side. And I'm like, you know what? That's actually a good description. And now I want to read superpowers. so i'm going to uh you know it's available half price on comiXology right now they have the jack kirby superpowers there were three series uh, of superpowers comic books tie-ins to the toy line and the 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 cartoons um the first two were either written or drawn or written and drawn by jack kirby the third one i don't think he was involved in um but is, is not collected in the volume this is very specifically the jack kirby superpowers i'm gonna read that trade paperback for next week 
I am too. I'm very excited to to, to revisit that story because I love superpowers. Um, you know that hit in the the mid '80s when I was a wee Paul and was that that is the reason that I think I'm such the DC fan that I am now is because of the superpowers toy line. So I'm going to read it as well, but I'm oh. not picking up the trade. I'm going to be reading it on DC Universe in the individual issues. There you go. You can read it on Ooh, DC snap. Universe. Uh, I bought mine a long time ago, um, and so I just re-downloaded it. But yeah, so I guess we'll be revisiting next week, Superpowers. You know, and uh, before we leave this topic of Conan for the last, uh, I wanted to say that if you're in a Conan mood and you want to see Conan outside of his usual setting, uh, Wonder Woman Conan, the crossover between DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics, is on sale right now on Comixology. Oh. Oh, look at that. Uh, it's by Gail Simone and Aaron Lapresti. Oh. It's a, a pretty darn attractive book, I must say. Yeah, it's a good creative team. Yeah. So, well, uh, we'd like to know what you think. What what if scenarios would you like to see? Uh, is it what if Paul and Wayne faced off and Paul stomped around in Wayne's guts? Is that <laughs> the what if you want to see? That's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll get some Wayne's guts. <laughs> you can also hit us up on uh, social media, IOM Geek, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, guys. Well, we'll do this all over again next week. Except maybe Wayne. <laughs> all stomps around his guts. His guts. Wow. I thought we were Conan buddies this week, Aaron. We, we are. I can't help that Paul's a supervillain. A murderous, mur- murderous supervillain. <laughs> but hey, Conan buddies for life, Pat, man. Even though your life may be very short. Bye. <laughs> ah, good times. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.